Do your thing. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Hi, my name is Vivian Aqua and I call myself the Inclusive Workplace Wellness Advocate. So any topic that has to do with workplace wellness or diversity, equity and inclusion, I make it accessible for everybody. And tonight it's, uh, let's say it's the 101st episode of Let's Humanize the Workplace. And it's also the last episode before I am going to take a break, not a break from let's doing let's humanize or everything that I'm doing, but I'm going to pause let's humanize the workplace until the summer so that I can focus on amplify DEI. You must have heard of it. And if this is the first time that you're hearing it, you have missed out. I'll share more later. Today, I am going to introduce my guest speakers for today later on, but I wanted to share two topics that has to do that has something to do with today's topic as well. So last week, the 3rd of July, it's International Crown. I'm just calling it International Crown Day. I know it's a it's a crown day or it's a celebratory day in the US, and I'm claiming it every year, the 3rd of July, we are all going to celebrate our hair. Um, why did it happen? Apparently, Black women and Black girls were being excluded because the way that they're wearing their hair. Some people were, were wearing their hair natural, some people were wearing their hair in braids, or some people were wear, wearing, their, uh, wear, <laughs> wear, wearing their hair loosely. And apparently, there are companies or people out there that seem to think that black hair isn't professional in a certain kind of way and that you only need to relax it so that it will be seen professional. I'm here saying no. I have been wearing my hair natural, but I've also been wearing, you know, my, my purple braids as well. And I am celebrating everybody's hair. So as long as you don't touch my hair without permission and also you don't exclude me from the workplace because I'm wearing my purple braids. We are all okay. So the next time that you see a person or the next time that you see a black woman or a black girl, instead of that, instead of excluding them, applaud them for the amazing hairstyle that they are wearing because it's versatile and it's beautiful and it's also professional. The crown day the reason why the crown day is there, it's because of uh, California, I think San Francisco um, did a law about, you know, owning up, saying that the companies or the, the people that are being excluded, there is a law against that and they can file a lawsuit against a company for discriminating people based on their hair. So be careful about what you're doing and more and more states in the US are adopting it. I've never witnessed this but I want us to be more conscious and to be more inclusive when it comes to our hair. I, <laughs> I can see Michael reacting, respect the crown. Yes, we want to respect all hairstyles, all crowns as well. So thank you, Michael, for sharing that as well. Um, the next topic that I want to um, share, it's an unfortunate thing where women had to face Me Too. This woman shared something about her experience, but also about so many other experiences when it comes to me too. Working in the advertising space or working in the creativity industry space where um, where she was dealing with the, the version of Mad Men and Furious Woman. And she shared 
different situations with different ages and some of them are me too some of them you know are you know a thin a thin line towards me too but it's making women feel uncomfortable and i want us all to speak up and to stand up by making women feel uncomfortable we need to stand up because this is 2021 and i cannot tolerate this behavior anymore we are not sex symbols. We are women. We are humans. We are. We might be somebody's mother. We might be somebody's sister. We might be somebody's daughter. Be considerate of that as well. I want to invite my guest speakers of today. So uh, we are going to talk about deactivating biases against women. I know that there are a lot of biases against women and the list is very long, but I'm very pleased to be here on the show with um, three amazing women and I'm going to read their bio. So just a moment, a little bit. So first is Eleonora De Vecchio. She has an amazing Italian name. Uh, and Eleonora De Vecchio is a, a researcher, a consultant in the fields of gender equality and DEI. Um, I may call her, I can call her Nora. So Nora is also an intersectional feminist and activist. Emma Rainey is a gender equality expert as well and an advisor on the DEI strategies. She's known for her strategies, or sorry, she's known for her feminist activism and Emma is passionate about creating change from the bottom up and has been involved in social movements. Ali Ortega, she defines herself as the gender equity server and her biggest passion is the human equality. She believes that everyone should serve the waves of DEI and work towards educating and changing systemic and unconscious bias. So I am very honored to have this conversation with you all and also very honored to have you here on the show as well. And I am going to ask a question, which I normally ask people, but in this case, I want to rephrase that question as well. Um, People are being invited back, and I'm saying invited with a quote. People are being lured back or invited back to, to the workplace. And why do we need to humanize the returning to the office? Nora. Hi. First of all, thank you for having me here. Um, I will try to have fun as well, as we discussed as before. As well, definitely. Um, you know, I think that uh, with the pandemic, we all live through a collective trauma and, uh, you know, some of us even lost their friend, their dearest, or maybe their job. And uh, we will need time to readjust and uh, we don't know how the future will look like and uh, uncertainty mm -hmm. is a feeling that it's difficult to deal with. Yeah. But on the other side, you know, the pandemic is also an opportunity to change our workplace um, because somehow since it's a collective trauma, I'm not saying that we were affected uh, all in the same way because we know it's not like that, but somehow we shared something. Maybe we can be more empathic. Mm -hmm. And we also learned that uh, in terms of, you know, working from home or not, there's not one fits all because you have someone that says, ah, I love working from home. And someone says, I hate it. And someone else says, I would like a way in between. Anyways, I think that all of us will learn that uh, a lot of uh, meeting could be an email. A lot of working trips could have been a call. Mm -hmm. 
exactly. and we don't need eight hours five days a week in order to get to get work done because I experienced at least that since I knew I needed to be in the office for eight hours, sometimes I was losing time because I, I was like, well, anyways, I have time until six. And now that I'm working from home, I'm like, well, I know I need to get these things done. Well, now I'm also freelance, so it's different. But really, I, I, I appreciate more my time because I, I manage it better. I always had the luck to don't have a boss that micromanage me. She mm-hmm. was like, okay, as long as you do what you need to do, then yeah just then leave you know but I'm saying it more general so I think that when we come back we really have the opportunity and it would be great to have this sort of uh, non-judgmental and open conversation on what what does it work for you okay how how do you work better because for me if I have you know some time for myself to go for a walk to see a friend I'm also more productive at work and we have seen that so I I think there's an opportunity there so basically, Nora is tra- is challenging leaders, but also yourself to ask that question as in what works for you? What are the conditions for you to come back to the office? Or maybe you would rather like to stay at home. <laughs> Emma. I think we need to change the overall system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Capitalism, you know, we are so, capitalism depends on productivity and, you know, in Western societies, we're so obsessed with being productive individuals and getting stuff done. And I also think, you know, this is probably compounded by the pandemic in a sense, you know, and like gender roles were reinforced, particularly in heterosexual families. Um, you know, Catalyst did a study on um, on their uh, equity in the future of work, and they found that globally 92% of workers are feeling burnt out as a result of the pandemic. For women with children, this often meant staying up late, catching up on work-related tasks just to stay on pace with their male colleagues. This probably wasn't helped, where in some cases employers were implementing toxic monitoring cultures to ensure productivity. Now, on the flip side of this, there's me. So back in early March 2020, I actually had to take a few mental health days because, you know, as a as a young millennial, I was overworked, <laughs> overwhelmed. I was busy doing loads of different projects, networking, profile building, going to events, you know, in, and in, in the Brussels bubble that can be very intense sometimes. And, you know, a couple of days later, I actually got sick with COVID-19 and I was sick for mm-hmm. two months. And during this period, I kind of had this like epiphany where I was kind of evaluating where my life was at. And I was prioritizing all of those things I just mentioned before my physical and mental health and even my personal relationships. So I kind of made a vow to myself that once my employment contract ended, I was never going to go back to work from 9.30 to 6.30, five days a week again, and that I was going to give consultancy work um, a try to have more flexibility and to prioritize uh, the things I want to do. I think that the fact that the pandemic, as Nora mentioned, um, it was a respite for some people, but it was also a burnout experience for others, means that we need to have a really blunt conversation on comprehensive and holistic, you know, approaches to work that can work for everybody that's somewhat tailor-made 
focusing on more human work rather than being output oriented and where leadership is built on empathy or for I think like having this hybrid system a mandatory hybrid system for all staff uh, should I say um, where it is remote or office work you know three four days a week and uh, also a four day working week please can we have a three day weekend please <laughs> I am all for that. I'm all for that. I don't believe in the five days of working. I've never, well, maybe I, in the beginning of my career, I worked five days and I, after one month, I said, no, I can't do that. I can't work for five days and only recover or rest or play only for two days. So I'm, I'm totally for that. And you mentioned something about um, having that space where people can choose if they want to go back to work full-time if they don't want to go back to work for full-time that's a very important element as well so thank you emma ale yeah first of all thanks for having us here and also all the people online uh, watching us um for me i think that uh, a part of the pandemic we need to understand that we are humans right like just mm -hmm. that. and we all have different backgrounds, different stories, a different way of beings. And as Nora said, there is no one size that fits all. Mm -hmm. And something that I always ask to the leaders is like, what was the last time that you asked your colleagues or your teammates, how are you? But mm. in the real way, you know, because we always go to meetings and then just, yeah, how are you? Good. And that's fine. But you don't know if that person is going through, I don't know, depression, anxiety, if someone in their family is doing terribly, or maybe they are just super happy by being in the work, in the office, in the home, like whatever the case is, I think it's really important that we start asking how people is. We are humans and we are driven by emotions. And I cannot count how many articles and studies shows that happy people work better and are more productive. Mm -hmm. So Companies, yeah, they care about money as well. So if you as a leader or as a company want to have more productive people, more money income in your in your in your company, then make sure that the people is happy there. Yeah. And also coming from my generation, I am a millennial, almost touching the Gen Z. And um, I need to say that we are paying attention on those things more than before. Uh, for me, it is not anymore. <laughs> you know, important uh, if companies are paying just good or whatever, I need to make sure that I feel that I belong, that the place where I am working at is diverse, is inclusive, that are open to have conversations, that are open to be flexible and that are sustainable in all the extent of the world. So companies and leaders need to think about the future because we as new generations are looking at that and talented people will be the one choosing where to work and not the other way around. So yeah, that is my my. That's input. a lot of fire. That's a lot. Of fire. <laughs> I, have a, I have a guest who wants to say goodbye. It's his bedtime, and he is making a scene. He's standing next to me. Come here. Okay, he has his moment, so I asked the question again. <laughs> it's there. my son Orlando, it's his bedtime. We always make this ritual, but apparently he doesn't want to say goodbye. So it's I'll, okay. I'll, yeah, it's totally fine. I wanted to address a few but things that were shared. So Molly, thank you for sharing that. We need to definitely debunk the 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 long hours. So the 40 hour work week, it's not it's not 
helpful for all of us. Um, another thing that Gurpreet is sharing, so true, we are human and we are driven by emotions and feelings. Um, Gurpreet is also sharing, well said, Ale, happy people, happy employees produce more, are more productive and in return benefit as they make more money. And since more money means that's the place where more where where the where the money resides, right? But also what companies are forgetting is when your employees are happy, that means that you have automatic employer branding. That means that you are activating your people to advocate for your company. A win-win-win situation, not only a win for clients, a win for for new talent, but also a win for your company. So I'm receiving a lot of comments. (laughs) Thank you all. Thank you all. Somebody's saying customers first, people always, quote from our CEO. Okay. I would say people first. I would say people first, yeah. Yeah. Vivian, can I add something just uh, to... um, you know, because Emma, she mentioned the burnout. Mm-hmm. And um, so by no means, I think that we should extend the way that we are working now yeah. till mm-hmm. post-pandemic. Because yeah. I think that we reacted to an emergency. We didn't mm. have the tools to face it. Yes. And on the other side, the voluntary part of working from home was missing because it was something that it was just mandatory. It was forbidden. It, it was, was forbidden. forbidden. It was and on the other challenging. side, managers, they yeah. need to understand boundaries. So what mm. we need to have after the pandemic is the yeah. right to be disconnected. Because yeah. when you were working in the office, at least... Uh, in the environment where I was working, your boss would never call you at 8.30 to tell you something at night, you know? But now that everything is so liquid, I've heard of so many people, like my boss calls me, texts me at every hour. We need to have the right to to disconnect. disconnect. We need to have the right to say, okay, I might be home, but I'm not here for you, you know? So that's what I see that should be the next step. Yeah. If, I, if I can add something on, I mentioned mandatory hybrid working for all staff members. Now, the reason why I say this is because I do have this fear of women just falling into it and then men just being in the office permanently. And as we know, there's this whole thing of uh, you don't know what, like if, if women are at home, you're going to assume they're doing X, Y, and Z, yeah. working, yeah. And, you know, men are in the office so they're probably going to be more cognitively more recognized as productive individuals compared yeah. to them, uh, in their um, companies or organizations so I think how we go into this needs to be managed very very carefully and it needs to be a gender lens needs to be applied yeah I love that I definitely love that I also want to be considerate of the comments so Carlos is sharing totally agree the world business is different after the pandemic so The thing that I don't want us to do is thinking that, okay, the pandemic is over. Now we we can go back to the way things were. The way things were, were not working for us, not for all of us. A lot of women in the States, a lot of women had uh, left their workplace because of the double duties that they were doing. And now there seems to be a gap. There is a conversation being held that, People are now leaving the workplace, as in business having challenges to find talent. I would say, dive in the pool, 
connect with people and make work to find talent with diverse backgrounds. Instead of dipping your, your toes in the same pool, picking the same talent pool, try to dip your toes in other pools. And if you can find them, there are recruitment agencies out there. There are people specialized in diverse hiring or inclusive recruiting and put some procedures in place so that you don't spend a lot of money in investing in recruiting. And then all of a sudden within one year they leave. We want you also to pay attention and to build that relationship after three months, after six months, after nine months, after one year, after two years, after five years. Work on that as well. So going to our uh, going to our main question, because that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are watching this at the moment. But I will share, I will start with Emma. Can you share an experience where you dealt with a gender bias that was holding you back? And with an experience, I say one experience. <laughs> right. I'm actually going to deviate slightly from this question because mm -hmm. I've mainly worked in the nonprofit sector, which is primarily yeah. made up of women. So I personally don't recall ever having experienced gender bias in work. However, as women, it doesn't mean that we're incapable of inflicting bias behavior or that we're only capable of experiencing gender bias. I'll try and keep this really short and sweet. So in my in my experience, there's two kinds of sort of identity markers that I've experienced bias with. Um, one is that I come from um, a working class background. This is something I'm always quite weary of. Um, of sharing in uh, the Brussels bubble. You know, I come, uh, <laughs> growing up was quite tough and opportunities weren't handed to me. And I find that um, that experience is, it, it's very hard to find people to relate to in Brussels because it is such an elitist space, even in the nonprofit sector. So it, yeah, I, I've, I've received some pretty weird comments in the past about, you know, how I was lucky to be where I am and stuff. Um, yeah, um, that's a, that's that's basically a micro. Uh, what is it? A microaggression, right? Micro wrapping wrapping yeah. an insult in a compliment. Yeah, and the thing is, the only thing that's lucky about that is you were lucky being born in your middle class family. That's the only lucky part. Everything else is just hard work, honey. That's 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 <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the second thing I'm going to be really quick is that um. So I identify as neurodivergent. So I was diagnosed with autistic tendencies as mm -hmm. a kid, and I attended special needs education right up to the age of fourteen. Um. So neurodevelopment conditions such as ADHD and autism are often associated with meals for a yeah. whole. The reasons, um, but research suggests that girls and women often often go undiagnosed because they're better at adopting imitation strategies to blend into like a neurotypical world. So I've somewhat adopted this to my advantage, but it has sometimes backfired on me. Um, I've never actually disclosed uh, this information to any of my employers before. Uh, and uh, I've never done it during interviews because I was always afraid of stigma um, being stigmatized. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it was only recently that I did it for the first time. And I did it for two reasons. One, I wanted to raise awareness on hidden disabilities. And yeah. two, I also wanted to, I basically felt like 
were it was getting that weird in work <laughs> and that I felt like I needed to say hold up the reason why I work the way I, I, I do is because you know x y and z you know this is a part of who I am as a, like just because some way this isn't the way you would do it doesn't mean that the outcome is going to be any different or exactly. whatnot exactly. yeah so in summary, women deal with gender bias, but the complexity of our intersecting identities means that gender bias can be compounded by other biases. Therefore, when we talk about workplace bias, I would argue that it needs to be broadened to just seeing it as gender and race, for instance, which always seem to be the topics most discussed about. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. And also what I wanted to share, um, this, this afternoon I was interviewed for a podcast and what came to mind was we need to bring our IKEA manuals. And I'm not saying the, the 70 page manuals where you get lost and lo lose a screw, but I want us to bring that IKEA manual where people can get to know you, can get to know, you know a little bit more about you without being judgmental, basically a you manual. My son, when he was born, he didn't come with a manual. Unfortunately, we had to learn it the hard way, but still, there are ways to share, you know, what works for you, what doesn't work, what, what's the ideal, uh, ideal environment where you can thrive and what isn't ideal. Like Nora said that she needs that break, that walking break with her friend so that she can thrive in the workplace. If we disclose that more often, we can also be considerate of what we want and what we, what we don't like or what we don't need. Ali. Yeah, so for me, uh, this subject has not affected me just in my work, but also in my personal life. Mm -hmm. um, I've been sexualized since I was really young. I think mm. the first time that someone called me sexy was when I was 10 years old, which wow. I don't know how an infant can be sexy. Yeah. But anyways, um, because of the way I am looking, uh, I am from Mexico, Latina, Typical Latina, you know, like curvy, whatever you want to call it. What so is a typical Latina? That is what I was going to say, because there is a lot of biases when it comes like Latinas has a way of being, a way of looking, a, you know, like they tend to think that we're sexual just because we are Latinas and that's it. So that is wrong. That is yeah. wrong. No matter where you are, that is wrong. But yeah. when I started working, um, well, I was just dressing the way I am. Uh, yeah, trying to be conservative because I was in the office, but still being myself. And I was pushed back a lot, uh, especially and impressively by women, uh, putting me aside in important meetings, uh, telling me that I needed to change, that the way I was was not correct, that if I wanted to be a role model, I needed to be less extrovert, that I needed to dress differently. And I remember perfectly an occasion where my boss at that time asked me to prepare like my first introduction to a customer. And I did a lot of work for it. And five minutes before we were leaving to meet the customer, HR took my boss into, into her office and said to him that uh, I was not able to go to that meeting because of the way that I was dressing. Um, I was really impressed, to be honest, uh, because I put a lot of effort on it. And also I think I was looking quite okay, I'm pretty, because of course I wanted to look good and at that moment. But it, it's been always a challenge for me. Uh, mm -hmm. Even now, living in the Netherlands, uh, I've been you are. judged. Yes, yes. But even now, I've still been judged on the way that I dress or the way mm -hmm. that I am. 
uh, because I think uh, sometimes men and women think that we as women need to be like less extrovert, looking pretty in what pretty is in the standard, uh, act in specific ways, and that is not the case. Women and people are diverse and people need to understand that. So, of course, I'm sorry for the word, but I don't give a fuck about what people says about mm -hmm. me and about what they want me to change. I am the way I am and I will not change it no matter if they don't want to hire me, then I will search another company and that's it. So, yeah, yeah that, that is my experience. I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And uh, a while ago, it was in the news. I'm also in the Netherlands, by the way. A while ago, it was in the news um, that they were sharing that girls should be wearing certain clothes. Girls as in teens. So there were some teachers that were complaining that some girls were wearing, let's say, um, a deep collar. And some girls weren't wearing a deep collar. And I'm just like, who's the adult in this case? You as an adult have to restrain yourself not to think that way in a kids. And also a while ago, I think last year, a Netflix movie came out where uh, the poster of black girls were being, let's say they were being portrayed as, as you know, women where I also feel like Netflix also has the opportunity to highlight girls as girls, not as women, not being over-sexualized. I, I feel like we both have that responsibility, but I also feel like at home, I'm raising a boy and you best believe that if, when I hear something, I don't know his, his preference, but when I hear something where he's mistreating somebody else, He's going to deal with his mom. And we need to, we need to teach our, our, our sons, but also we need to teach our daughters about what it is, what it means to be active as a predator. It has no, it, it's, it's totally dehumanizing the person, the victim in this, in this place. And I want us to stand up, to speak up, to alley up and to prevent these occasions from happening as well. Thank you, Ali. Eleonora. So my, my opinion about this, it's uh, somehow similar to what Emma said, because I always had uh, women bosses. By no means, I think that mm -hmm. all women are feminist or all women yeah. are nice, uh, because this is another bias. But I'm just saying that I was lucky with the bosses that I had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it happened to me when I was working in Italy. Mm, before moving to Brussels in 2019 and you know in Italy 50% of women are unemployed and if you go to the south of Italy it's even 70% and I say that wow. because uh, sexist bias as, are a product of culture and how can we fight them if women are, don't have the opportunity to be independent yeah. when women don't have an opportunity to raise their voice to leave yeah. their abusive partner how we are going to fight it you know and in Italy, it happened to me, this typical sexy thing that I was working as a bartender or whatever. Why don't you smile? Why are you not dancing? Because they're not paying me that. For, you know, why are you asking this? Because I'm a woman. You never would never ask this thing to a man, you know. So for me, the thing about bias is to ask yourself, would you ask the same question to a man? Would you do that? No, of course. And I also think about women in panel discussions. 
you know, when they ask, uh, they make a comment about their appearance. Ah, you're, yeah. you look great with these yeah. dresses. Would you exactly. do that, woman? You wouldn't do that. So don't do it. Or when they ask uh, to a black woman, uh, can I touch your hair? Would you exactly. say that to a white woman? You would never do that. So why are you doing that? Well, because you have a bias. Or, you know, when, when you see a person on a wheelchair, you're so inspiring. You don't even know me. Why do you say that? You know? So for me... The point this conversation is, is heated. This conversation is heated. I no, love it. Sorry, yeah. sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm just passionate about it. But I'm just, uh, for me, it's when people are like, no, because unconscious bias is so hard. I don't want to go to a psychologist to work on that. And I'm like, it's so easy. Okay. It's so easy. Would you ask this question to another person that is not this person? And yeah. most of the time it's like, no. So that's how I answer usually when they say, oh, unconscious biases are so hard to understand. <laughs> I give these I, I, I even examples. Have a, I even have a different example as in, would you ask that question to your mom? If your mom is like me, she will tell you off. She will tell you off. We need to tell, we need to think about what we are sharing would you ask that to your aunt? Would you ask that to your dad? That same question. We are not dumb. We can answer smart questions as well. So don't dumb down when you're asking us questions. That's it. I'm seeing a lot of conversations in the chat. So uh, Molly is sharing, this is infuriating. My girlfriends with more femme shapes are brutalized for existing too eye-catching. Is the onlookers problem? Not yours, it's Lord in heaven, okay? Thank you, Molly, for sharing. Uh, Rosa is sharing gender bias exists in everybody, women included. Yes. Would you ask that same question to a man? Yes, we women, we also need to own our, 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 our game, but also we women, we need to level each other up when it comes to that. So don't take over what men are thinking about women, but also elevate your mindset when it comes to seeing another woman. Don't feel threatened by another woman. Feel glad that another woman is coming into the game. Microaggressions, yes, that's <laughs> that will be a different topic, but it is part of the biases as well. Uh, Marta is sharing great explanation, Nora, and yes. So going to the next question, if we go over time, do you have some time? If we go a little bit over time, okay, because I feel like this we are going to go over time a little bit. Um, can you share one tip? to deactivate biases against women. And I'll start with you, Nora. You're muted. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's, uh, no worries. it's a typical sentence of this year. And <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, somehow tied with what I said before. So mm -hmm. ask yourself, uh, would you do the same question? But on the other side, for me, it's uh, look at people, okay? Because if you see someone uncomfortable, it's great. If then, when you are just you and her or you and him or you and they, that you approach this person, you say, why do you feel uncomfortable? Do you want to talk about it? What can I do to help? And this tip for me, it's not men to women, but also women to women, because we have also to stop thinking about women as a monolithic group, that we are all the same. I understand that in the Brussels bubble, it's dif it's difficult to think that women are not just white. It's not gender, only in the Brussels and, bubble. Uh, you know, but women are so different. Uh, and 
there is a kind of uh, discrimination and power structure, although yeah. we share the same gender identity, okay? Yeah. So for me, the question is try to um, approach these people also because it's the way that you learn about these diversities, you know, because I really do think that some people, they're not mean, it's just that they've never experienced, uh, because, you know, I think about my mom, you know, my mom, she's this kind of person I can have a lot of conversation with. Does she has bias? Of course she does, but also because she wasn't exposed to different realities, you know? Mm -hmm. She never met a trans person, for example. So there yeah. are many things that she doesn't know and she knows she's not a millennial, so she doesn't have social media, you know? So it's also about having conversations. So try to have this conversation. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yes. Will you find out if you're a white person that probably you are a little bit racist? Yes. But that's the way that in the end you are going to learn how to deconstruct these things that make you act in a racist way, you know? So for me, in simple word, is talk to people and try to empathize with them. That doesn't mean that you have to aggress them. Okay, what, do, what happened? Tell me. Ah, oh, no, you have to tell me. No, if this person says, look, I don't want to speak about that now. But also the fact of saying, oh, these people cared about me she or he or they actually ask oh that's great and and that's where also you create a more healthy work environment where you care about the other also if it's different especially if it's different i am smiling from ear to ear people listen to the next generation i am smiling from ear to ear with when i hear the three of you talk it makes my heart melt. It makes my heart melt and so proud that you are the next generation where you are speaking up. And I hope that the leaders of today, but I hope that the leaders of tomorrow are listening to these ladies as well, because they are the next generation and know that the next generation does not tolerate your BS. So if you think that you can just copy paste diversity by adding different images on your website or and they can find on LinkedIn this is a tip they can find on LinkedIn who's working where I went with departments don't be they they are not going to be fooled by that please don't fool them because they are so much smarter and they have all these different social media platforms where they can hold you accountable I'm just saying that Emma <laughs> I don't know if it's a tip per se, but I would maintain that we need to see women as individuals within their own right to exist. Yeah. Yeah. All too often I hear men say like, oh, I have a daughter, I have a sister, as a justification for why they supposedly support gender equality. Seeing women as only an extension of the male existence is for me the foundation in perpetuating gender stereotypes and bias. Mm -hmm. Therefore, as a starting point. So which... the way that you're saying is basically actually a similar thing is I have a black friend or I have I know yeah. black people in yeah. my community. Yeah. So I can't possibly be sexist or racist or, you know, like it's completely yes, what it is. Uh, as Nora mentioned, we're all capable of, you know, we all have unconscious biases. We have mm -hmm. all internalized racism or sexism, even as women. Like I'm constantly correcting my mum on some, like, some <laughs> <laughs> Why you're doing that? Uh, you know, you, you 
the patriarchy has infected your brain that don't say this or you know whatnot and yeah. yeah um but i would say for like men per se you know a starting point as individuals is to reflect on how they view and interact with the women around them uh three things educate yourself educate yourself educate yourself then go one step further in being a true ally and calling out gender bias and other forms of toxic masculinity when you see and hear it. For me, it's not good enough for men just to say, oh, I support gender equality. I want to see you actually talk to your male peers and get them on board, you know? Yeah. I am, I am having a hard time moderating, <laughs> facilitating this conversation. But I will go on to Ale. So Ale, I, I, I'm having a hard time. Ale, take over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for me the most important is to listen, but to really yeah. listen because I feel that sometimes when we open up ourselves to share our struggles or the things that we're facing, sometimes people block their minds saying like, oh, you're a feminist, you hate men, you're angry with the society. That is not true. The struggle is real. Women, we face sexual harassment, gender yeah. gay gap, and many other stuff that, yes, I know, and everyone says this, men also suffer that. We acknowledge that. This is not a competition to see who is worse or better. We just want to be equal, okay? So listen, listen to us, and also, like, stop putting as an excuse that you're hiring men because they have more skills or because they're not going to get pregnant. So it's easier to manage it. Not all the women wants to have babies. Like, I don't know if everyone knows this, but this is a fact. Not everyone wants to have babies. Not everyone not is everyone the same. everyone can have babies. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So really, you need to start to treat people as individuals, not mm -hmm. as gender differentiated. We are people who have skills, talent, just embrace that and start to listen actively to all of us. And and Ali, I love your comment. And you know what? Like when men they think, ah, no, because we suffer violence. We are not the ones saying that you don't suffer any violence. That's actually patriarchy, and exactly. that's actually what we're fighting against. And actually, we are the one, for example, fighting for you to have parental leave because you should have the right to spend time with your kid because you shouldn't be the one to earn more money and to have this stress that you have to take care of economically on everything. So put on a movement and we go together. What's exactly. the problem? You know? and, and, and then they're like, Okay, but yeah. <laughs> Who wants change, right? Who wants change? So I, I am totally digging this. And uh, Ale, you mentioned something that I haven't shared, or maybe the speakers or the, the, the viewers or the listeners don't know this about me, but you just saw my son, right? And um, in 2013, I found out that I was pregnant. I shared that, I disclosed that with my then five managers. Don't ask me how that came. Um, I was dealing with a high-risk pregnancy where I, after bullying, after dehumanization, but also being the first woman announcing that she was pregnant in the workplace, I was being devalued from the moment that I shared, I am pregnant, being seen less. I want this to end. I want women to be able to feel comfortable, to feel safe when they are 
when they are applying for a new job that they can disclose I'm pregnant. I never had a situation where I was able to disclose after dealing with this. I, I felt a little bit challenged by disclosing pregnancy, but also felt a little bit, you know, um, let's say a little bit, I wouldn't say jealous, but different when I could hear good positive situations where women did disclose, you know, that they were pregnant or they that were four months pregnant. Not everybody experienced that. I want us to break down the maternal bias wall. I want us to end the conversation where you assume that a mother is only going to spend time with her kids. That's not the case. I'm a person. I have the right to spend the time that I want in the way that I want it. And I am also a person before Orlando, I'm still Vivian Aqua. And after Orlando, I'm still Vivian Aqua. That means that Vivian is going to do the things that Vivian likes and to fill her cup. I'm not only a mother, I'm a partner. I am a nerd. I'm a woman. I'm so much more to me. So please add in the intersectionality part because I'm not only a mom. Okay, that was me preaching. <laughs> I see a lot of comments coming in, so I'm I'm going to share that. So Sebastian, Viva Aqua, that's that's a combination of my name, right? Okay. Uh, workplace trying to change the way people are is toxic. All workplaces should provide the right space for everyone to feel comfortable as they are and allow people to raise their voices. Leaders need to step up their game and involve their mindset. Yes, activate your growth mindset, uh, by the way. Um, I'm seeing Bindu. Hi, Bindu. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Rosa, I think Rosa is referring to the three things that one of you shared. I think it was Emma. Um, Rosa is also sharing, listen to the intent to understand Stephen Covey. I use it in my workshop. So important. Thank you for sharing Rosa and Carlos is rooting for you. Ali, Sebastian, this conversation, Sebastian, I'm having a hard time listening and moderating this conversation because the heat in my ears, it's so much, it's so much. <laughs> Adriana, so proud of you, Ali. Great conversation. Yes, it was Emma. Thank you for sharing that. And Talia said, thanks for sharing, Ali Ortega. Uh, so thankful that you share your experience with us and you rock. Yes, they all rock. They all rock. So coming towards the, the next question. Um, let me see. What can leaders do to block biases against women in their team? And I'll start with, did I start with you, Ale? And then I'll start with you. <laughs> awesome. So I think uh, something that uh, we are missing is mentorship. Uh, I think mentorship is something that is really common uh, with men. Mm -hmm. And for everyone that doesn't know uh, why am I coming with this, uh, there is a yeah. book that is called Lean In, where yeah. there is a lot of difference when it comes of being, being, being promoted. And as I mentioned before, we should not see individuals based on their gender. We should be yeah. individuals for their talents their skills, and everything they have to offer. I cannot accept people saying like, yeah, we hire him because he's more talented. When we think about like half of the population is women, like where are, are those talented women putting up front? So mm -hmm. bring that conversations and also make sure that 
your company is having enough money and that is investing on trainings on diversity and inclusion, not just putting a rainbow when it comes to the Pride Month or sending flowers when it's like International Women's Day. That is not how you support this. Like you need to make sure that people understand feminism, that they understand different, like Black, Black Lives Matter, like everything that is like affecting our current society. Exactly. We need to make sure it is being placed in the way, in the, in the, in the places that we're working. So yes, lean in, promote mentorship and train. That is for me, yeah. the things that leaders need to do. I'm going to challenge leaders to activate something else. So yes, Ale did mention mentorship, but also think about sponsorship. And the difference between sponsorship and mentorship is mentoring is where you are supporting an individual in their career or in the challenge, in the quest that they have. Sponsorship is basically inviting them into the spaces where you don't see them, but where you walk, opening up that network where they can see what they can, what the potential is, right? And how they can learn to network, bringing them into spaces, challenging event organizer to you know, provide some more tickets so that you can invite people with diverse background instead of only being at the events. I used to go to events where I could see on, the only person that was there of color was me. And what ended up is that I was being photographed all the time. I stopped, I stopped going to certain events because I realized that they were using me as a token and I'm not going to do that. I am investing in my ticket and if they want to tokenize me they need to invest so that i can invest in bringing more people as well eleonora well um so what leaders can do well first of all i like the three rules of emma educate yourself educate yourself educate yourself because they need to work to, to work on their unconscious biases mm -hmm. because, as we say, you lead by example, all right? And also, you are the person that creates the work environment. Then, going back to what I was saying before, try to have a conversation with your team. Give them the opportunity to share their concern and tips for improvement. And I understand that some employees might have a hard time. Okay, so give them an anonymous survey. Easy. They don't know who's speaking. You have the data out there. And as we were saying before, people that feel more comfortable in the workplace, they will stay there. They won't leave the place. They will speak in a positive way uh, externally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's in your interest to make your employees feel comfortable more than you know the human being <laughs> they, yeah. they deserve to be it's a win-win situation that you're creating where you are activating your employees to become advocates or even to become ambassadors and that works well with employer branding that works well in tapping into a new client or a new audience and that works well money-wise right yeah and and also you know when uh, also to give small tips because it's not only the boss because there are also hierarchy in terms of maybe yeah. you are yeah. a senior woman and you yeah. work with the trainee or with yeah. the junior woman okay mm -hmm. let them speak at the meeting let them present the project 
let them take credit for the work that they have done because we know that women they have this modesty norm problem that they always have to be you know super uh, nice and think about uh, other people's needs no you should say well you did this great thank you so much and another thing you can do if you're in a meeting you can ask okay Emma, Ale, Vivian what do you think about this so you give importance to this person in the meeting your opinion counts and this is so important also to you know develop their the skills of you know being more confident and you know it's important to see to be recognized and valued in the workplace yeah. feel that you're part of something i love that emma yeah so <laughs> so um i think that many dei initiatives already have a gender bias ingrained into them because all too often they just focus on women's professional development while adding a few training sessions on unconscious bias and workplace harassment. Now these things are important but sometimes it just feels like that's it and you know then there's nothing else and you know I've been reading um, this book by uh, it's called uh, The Fix by Michelle King, which is an mm -hmm. excellent and I highly recommend it, um, yeah. which, which it basically focuses on um, why women are not advancing in leadership roles. And it's because we we focus so much on fixing women mm -hmm. um, rather than the structural barriers that are impacting women. So I would actually argue the alternative to lean in and say that we need to shift the focus away from individual responsibility and start embedding gender competencies at a structural level and systematically throughout work streams and organizations. Can you see how I, I feel challenged by listen, after listening to you all? I need to listen back to this episode because you shared a lot of golden nuggets. I'm going back to the comments that people have been sharing. So Ale, love. Uh, you're having an excellent participation uh -huh, participation, and you're an inspirational woman. Very proud of you. Uh, Bindu, yes, we do that. I don't know what we do. There was a lot shared, but we do that. <laughs> Molly is sharing, yes, my friend Denzel sponsored me to become a sorcerer in tech. You see, that's how we do it. I was a massage therapist before I worked at Microsoft. And want to talk about non-traditional backgrounds? I've got you. Awesome. Great to know you, Al. Uh, great to know you, Molly, as well. And um, coming to the last question, because this conversation was already heated, my ears are on fire. But we are in the the no. We have we have no. We have a last question. Twenty twenty five. It's even past twenty twenty one. I mean, I've even blocked twenty twenty one out of my calendar because I'm looking forward to twenty twenty two. But hey, I need to ask this question. Twenty twenty five. What is your wish when it comes to humanizing the workplace and biases against women? What do you don't want to see or what do you want to see in 2025? And I'll start with um, Ali. Dream big, Ali, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, for me, to be honest, I don't want to wait till 2025. For me, it's mm -hmm. not an option to wait till that moment. We need to start now. Yeah. And it is really important to see how we are represented, not just in companies, but in politics, uh, in economy. If yeah. we really want to have a country 
a place and a world that is good, that is healthy, that is prosper, we need to have gender equality. So mm. I want to see more leaders, more women leaders all over the place, women leaders taking decisions for me, for us as women, women leaders that are, uh, you know, like fighting against violence that we as women go through. So I really want to see a representation, change the game. There is a lot of things that women and a lot of people can bring to the conversation. So this needs to happen now. And again, please don't wait till 2025. This needs to start now. And if you want to bring talent to your companies, you need to focus on this because we are not going longer to, you know, just get into a company because it is nice. We're going to go for a company that offers us real opportunities and tangible ways of us to become better. And yeah, that is what I really want to see. Thank you. A lot of fire, a lot of fire. So Nora. So I love the, I loved your comment actually, Ale. I, I agree you should start now, but if I think what I would like even now, I would like to have workplaces more accessible to women. And when I say women, I think about all the women, not the yeah. women that we already see now, other women. So maybe, maybe that, help the audience understand what you mean with other women. When I say other women, I want to say, I want to see uh, black and brown women. I want to see women from uh, a different economic background and that they haven't studied to the super fancy university. I want to see women with uh, disability, that they have a work, workplace that it's physically accessible to them. I want to see women wearing a hijab and it's not a problem in the workplace. I want to have women that they can speak openly about their invisible also um, disabilities and that is not a problem to be hired. I want every woman to be there and we don't and I also want women that are part of the LGBT community because yeah. we know how much trans women are affected when they yeah. try to find a job and in the end they always they, they never have a role where they they are in the public. You never see a trans woman speaking in public. Now we have a minister in Belgium, which is great, but if I if I think about Italy, not even if you're not thin, they will not put you to speak in an event, I assure yeah. you, because this yeah. also is, you know, fat phobic um, society. But uh, that's, that, that's not only my, my only dream. I have other dreams. So I hope that we won't have to speak about pink washing and tokenism mm. anymore. Mm as mm. you were saying before. So if you're Thank doing you. something, if, if you, it's because you believe that and it's not that you in June you just rip off your rainbow flag and you forget about it, you know. I, I hope that call-outs will be easier to do and also embraced as an opportunity to grow rather than a threat. Because sometimes, yeah. you know, people, I, I say something, I make a call-out and I would be actually paid for that because I'm making you a favor because <laughs> your image is terrible, what you're doing is terrible, and I'm actually working as a consultant for you. So you should be grateful instead of attacking me, you know, because I'm giving you an opportunity to grow, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I hope that, you know, all the employees would have the reporting structure and the protection to speak about something if they feel uncomfortable because of Ale was saying before, you know, the sexual harassment problem. Why still exists? Because there are not uh, reporting structure that are actually safe for women and other people to do. Yeah. So that's why it doesn't happen. And also, what does it happen if they fire me and blah, blah, blah. And finally, and this is close to my heart, I hope that burnout, having a burnout won't be a tr trendy anymore because in the in the Brussels bubble is crazy. It's like, oh yeah, I had a burnout last year. And you're like, I mean, it's okay that you speak openly about it, but like, oh no, she had three burnouts. No, I want to speak about mental health and well-being, but from a wealthy perspective, not yeah. that you respect me because I had a burnout because I'm workaholic. No, we need to speak about depression. We need to speak about anxiety. We need to normalize this and speak about well-being. Thank you. That's a powerful speech right there. Thank you, Nora. Thank Emma. You. So I'm going to be quite short of mine. It's you can be long. We have the time. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm very much on the same page as Ali and Nora and everything that they've said, but I, I, I just want to bring it back down slightly to how companies and organizations operate. I feel like all too often um, they see gender equality as something outside of what they do. And so I would like gender equality to become a core component um, mm -hmm. of an organization's strategy. Uh, that also goes for institutions, um, gender mainstreaming yeah. in governments throughout. Yeah. And I would like to see gender mainstreaming become a normative practice. It shouldn't just be something that you do because some funder uh, required it because, you know, it's trendy to, to do it every now and then, or, you know. Um, and I would also like, so for instance, um, me and Nora, we, we often uh, we work with uh, think tanks quite a lot in, in, in our work, basically. And uh, for the past year, we've been advocating for gender analytics in research, basically, because like I feel I, I feel like all too often policy is developed. Mm -hmm. without a gender lens being applied to yeah. it and it's just assumed there's going to be no gendered outcomes and that everyone's just going to be impacted the exact same way mm -hmm. so I feel like we need to change how we look at policy in particular in the sense that you know there are outcomes be more outcome oriented in, in your research and what is the end result in policy so yeah that's it for me that's a lot. That's a lot. I do have a, another thing. It's not related to 2025. It's more actual. Um, before the, the COVID lockdown hit us, I was talking about women being dehumanized in the workplace and also pr predominantly working moms being dehumanized. So imagine you taking your four course meal in the restroom. Do you have that idea in mind? Because that's what a lot of companies have been doing. If you are not providing mother's lactation rooms and providing a space, an unhealthy, unsanitary space for them to produce the mother milk, which is unhealthy for the mom, unhealthy for the child. And when it comes to productivity, it's affecting the mom and the child as well. So I want you to advocate or um, create a space where a woman can peacefully 
hygienically produce her baby's milk so that everything is safe, everything is hygienic. I don't want to see pre prehistoric situations where we are still producing milk or we are still lactating milk from the restroom because you wouldn't eat your four course meal in a restroom either. So I am so grateful for this conversation. Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Ale. Thank you, Emma, as well. I'm just closing off, so don't leave. I'm just, I'm just closing off with uh, something that's very close to my heart. Amplify DEI, it's coming. It's coming sooner than later. So the 27th to the 29th of September, Amplify DEI Summit will be back. And I am happy and I'm honored to announce that we have 75 speakers speaking up. Uh, we are going to treat DEI not as a one-night stand. We are going to treat DEI as a marathon. So if you want to connect your company with this mission, if you want to tie in or partner or sponsor with us, please use that bit.ly link. So connect with us or reach out to me via LinkedIn because you'll be missing out. If you don't partner with us or sponsor us, you will be missing out. So thank you for today. I am grateful for the conversation that we have today, but also grateful that I have done so many episodes, so many amazing conversation. And tonight's conversation, I need to let everything marinate because the ladies, they shared a lot of useful tips, useful useful ways for us to deactivate biases when it comes to women. So thank you all for, for being here and see you back hopefully after the summer break. Bye.